Rise and Shine Pinchers, welcome back to another episode of Just a Quick Pinch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. Alrighty, so if you are someone that constantly feels sleepy during the day, even though you've technically got enough hours of sleep, if you're someone that knows that you could honestly be achieving more if only you had more energy and more zest for life, if you're someone that feels like honestly your quality of sleep could be better and instead of scrolling on TikTok for hours on end, you want to have more sleep, better sleep, this episode is for you. We have Teresa on. She is a sleep coach as well as a sleep apnea educator. And she's on to talk all about how to set up your day so that you have a better night's sleep. We go into how sleep honestly rules everything and how to really tell if you need to reach out for help. So this episode has a lot of really good nuggets and I'm so excited for you to hear. So without further ado, now on to the main episode. Hit it, editing Connie. Alrighty, Teresa. So I'm really excited to get started today. For many reasons. One, because I myself have many sleep things that (laughs) I need help with addressing. But first of all, I actually wanted to hear a bit about your journey into becoming a sleep coach and a sleep apnea educator, because this was a career field that like, I honestly didn't really know about before meeting you and finding your page. Amazing. You know, I hear that a lot, actually. Um, It's, it is kind of ironic, right? Because literally every human sleeps (laughs) and then we sort of forget that like, we can get help for it. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was in healthcare um, sales consulting since since before I graduated college, and I went through orthopedics, then dental, then I got into dental sleep, and I was just like hooked instantly. Like I think before I even started the job, I was like, "Wow, this is incredibly important. Why isn't anybody talking about oh this?" God. Like you're saying. Did you yourself ever have any sort of like sleep issues? Like, was there anything that you struggled with? That's a good question too. Um, Yes and no. I mean, like everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm like really excited or anxious, I have trouble sleeping, but I did actually, um, I was experiencing migraines for many, many years and I found that like sleeping was the only thing that made me feel better. So I was always very, very like sleep focused without even really understanding like why or what it was doing. I was just always like... I have to go to bed. I can't stay out too late. So yes and no. (laughs) Yeah. And so in terms of like getting the certification and stuff like that, at what point did you decide like, okay, you know what, I'm going to leave my like healthcare sales types of like my comfort zone basically. And then like jump into becoming a sleep coach. Well, when I was, I was in dental sleep medicine, I was selling appliances for sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And I was finding that even though that's what I was selling to dentists, easily less than half of my job was actually selling the device. It was like more about talking to them about how to talk to their patients and all the questions patients have. And then over time I started realizing all these patients had the same questions over and over again. And I was like, you know, our healthcare system doesn't really do us any favors in having that provider patient relationship and giving them enough time to explain all this stuff. So I just, I really, really wanted to do more. I felt like every time, anytime someone found out that I was like in sleep, they always had questions and I was like, how can I just help more people? So I kind of did like a little bit of a hybrid. I I still work in the clinical setting, but my patients are patients of doctors, patients of dentists. And then I I did do a lot of like individual client work. It's just not really what I'm focused on now. Got it. One of your posts actually that like really caught my eye, it was like just a really refreshing take on it. It was kind of about like if you're a patient that struggles with chatting with your doctor about your sleep issues, like maybe you just don't know the, you just don't know how to articulate what you're going through. Um, Your post was about how questionnaires can be powerful. Can you go into a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So Again, you know, I think a lot of people, especially women and especially younger women, 
we're finding out now that there's a lot more going on in our bodies and nobody really told us about it. (laughs) And we think that there's something wrong with us or that people don't understand. And unfortunately, and I've, I've had, you know, a lot of conversations with male physicians too, especially in sleep who are very open about this. It's just, it's not what they learn. It's not what we learn. And so it's, it's almost like this accidental bias sometimes, or we just kind of dismiss it, especially Mm. for women. So I think it's really important to do your own research ahead of time. Of course, you know, I don't want anybody to be like a hypochondriac, but, but if you do some kind of prep before you go to the doctor's office, if you find some questionnaires like related to something you think you might have, you know, you wouldn't go to the doctor and say, Hey, I have this diagnosis, but you can, it will give you something to look at and sort of to like talk about versus just dumping all these symptoms on a doctor and like, hoping they can figure it out right or then like going home and being like oh I should have told them that it also feels kind of like this right yeah exactly even though like I'm a provider sometimes I feel like I'll go home from an appointment and be like oh I like totally like what did they even say like appointments can just be so overwhelming I feel like because they're so long there's so much information that you can easily walk away being like I feel like I only got half of that information um and I think your Mm -hmm. post was like really helpful as a provider knowing like oh these are things even though like I'm not necessarily like a sleep provider or anything like that. I could maybe give my dental patients like questionnaires or my pharmacist listening can give their patients like diabetes or like hypertension questionnaires mm-hmm. so that they kind of know going into it, like what phrases to use and, and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, as a provider, you know, you know what you're asking. You have a ton of questions to ask them, but the patient might not always know like why you're asking that question. So they might not even know how to answer it mm. unless they sort of prepped beforehand, just like a provider might look at a chart beforehand, a a patient or a potential patient can sort of like review and prep before they go. Right. Totally. And I feel like the tricky thing is a lot of times when you're showing up to the doctor, you're probably not feeling your best, right? You're already feeling like uncomfortable. You've had this problem for a while. And so that can make it hard. I feel like to present as our best selves too. Um, This makes me think too, like, what do you think are some little ways that having poor sleep could show up in your day to day? Like signs that you might be getting poor sleep and you're not even really aware of it. Ooh, um, like everything. (laughs) I'm biased. Um, You know, I, all I do is think about and talk about sleep, but sleep shows up in every physiological process. So um, you know, if you have a sleep disorder, of course, it's going to be a little more obvious. Your symptoms are going to be more clear. You know, you might be like falling asleep at a stoplight um, or snoring all night. Like those are going to be a little more obvious. But for most people who who struggle, you know, they, they don't realize they have a problem or they don't know when to start to improve. At least they're like habits. Um, and unfortunately, they can show up in ways that could appear to be lots of other things too. So if you are someone who's prone to anxiety, but you suddenly feel like you're having more and more anxiety, well, sleep can help to process your emotions. It can help to make you less emotionally reactive. And if you're missing out on sleep, it can increase your anxiety and vice versa. We see that people who have digestive issues, if they're not sleeping, that can increase their inflammation, which increases their digestive issues. They're having stomach aches and and bathroom problems more often for for reasons that are hard to understand otherwise. And again, of course, they could be related to other things. You get into this cycle of like stress and not sleeping, but then not sleeping is causing stress. And um, I think more obvious would be something like brain fog, Mm. memory issues, Things that we just sort of are like, oh, we're just so busy. Like, that's why I'm feeling this way. But 
like, are you, or are you having a, an actual issue going on in your brain where it's like, I'm tired, <laughs> I need to sleep, I need to process all of these things that you're doing. Right. I, I enjoyed one of your posts too, where it was like, sleepiness is not a byproduct of being a woman. Like you need to, <laughs> like, we all think like, oh, it's just because, you know, we're like moms or we're like on the go juggling all these things. Yeah. Um, but same with side tangent, same with nausea. I always feel like mm. nausea is like a side. Wait, also is nausea, can nausea be a symptom? Um, a little bit, especially if you're overtired. You know, sleep has a lot of regulation and hormones. So throwing off any hormones of any kind can make you feel not great with nausea is potentially. It's not typically one we see a lot, but then also it's like um, what medications are you taking? Or are you taking something to help you sleep? Maybe that is causing the nausea. So not as much as more like discomfort or digestive issues. So let's say now someone's like listening to this episode and they're thinking like, ooh, okay, I kind of have a little bit of everything she just said. Could you go into a little bit? I know this is like a very, this is, this is a big question, but could you go into some of the potential like stages of sleep where we could be going wrong or some of the, I guess, like more tangible things we could tell our doctors? Because from my understanding, I don't know too much about sleep. I only know from, you know, what I learned in school and stuff like that. But I know there's like a difference between having trouble falling asleep versus staying asleep versus waking up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the first place to start is to try to determine, is it really just because you're, you know, so busy? Is it really because, you know, if you're a new parent, of course, like you're waking up 1,500 times in the night. So, yeah, of course you're tired. But if you are eating healthy and you're working out and you're and you're trying to get, you know, seven-ish hours of sleep but you're still really tired – that would indicate that there's something not quite right. I mean, thankfully, almost everything with sleep, there is a treatment or a cure for. Um, but first determine, is it really your lifestyle? Are you drinking caffeine at 10 p.m. or not? You know, Or is it something that we need to work on? So everybody at some point in their life, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable saying literally every human, <laughs> will experience insomnia at some point in their life. We we often throw around the word insomnia a lot as just like, oh, you're sleepless, but it is a, a diagnosis as well. So transient insomnia is is that thing that everybody feels. It's like you're anxious, you're nervous. Maybe you had a bad day, like you don't sleep well. That's fine. You can easily practice breath work. You can do relaxation tips. Though, you know, all those sleep hacks that you see online, that helps with that transient insomnia. Now, if you just had a really stressful time in your life, a family death, and maybe you're you're having trouble sleeping for for a few weeks at a time, that would be what we're calling um, acute insomnia. It's a short period of insomnia. Again, typically that will resolve on its own um, as long as you are not more prone to that anxiety and that like hyperfixating on uh, what's wrong with you. You can do sleep tips and sleep hacks for that. Now, the last one would be chronic insomnia, which there is no amount of breath work and melatonin and relaxation tips that can cure insomnia. You need to do, um, you need to work with a professional for that. But again, that's treatable too. Now, what we see often, and this is not for everybody, but generally speaking, people who have trouble falling asleep, that's more often because of lifestyle or mood. You know, it's when they're eating, how much they're eating, um, if they are sensitive to something, if they're having a late meal, um, mood, again, if you're anxious, if you're nervous, if you're excited at 11 o'clock at night, you know, that's going to be you having trouble falling asleep versus 
more often when people are having trouble waking up in the middle of the night frequently or just regularly, that tends to be more of a condition. So it might be something like a blood sugar level issue or hormones or sleep apnea, which of course is my specialty. So I tend to see that in like everybody. Yeah. (laughs) What about like when we hear about like insomnia and stuff like that, I hear like the phrase like sleep debt talked about. Is sleep debt something that you can like catch up on sleep and that'll help you with or what are ways that you can help yourself with sleep debt because I feel like a lot of my audience too are like students where they're like okay I just really need to stay up and cram for this one exam then I'll get all the sleep I need yeah um the short answer is no because that's not how sleep works (laughs) (laughs) but um I'll go into it so so the easiest way to understand it is that the next day after you don't sleep, you're already feeling the negative effects. So if, for example, it's you trying to stay up late studying for an exam, um, first of all, your sleepy brain and without REM sleep is not going to process all of that new learning. So it's it's near impossible for you to actually remember all of that information. Not because you know, you're know you not smart or you're not doing a good job studying, but because that's not how our brain works. We, we literally need deep and REM sleep to process and hold on to those memories. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is that let's say you just stay up way later than normal, you're studying, you're doing whatever. The next day, you're already feeling groggy. Your brain is already a little bit slower. You're already a little bit more emotionally reactive your hormones telling you what to eat and if you're full are already out of whack and so even if and when you get more sleep like you've already had that day where you're kind of off balance so you can't like undo that day Mm. um you can certainly catch up on a little bit to make your your body feel better you know if you have a really late night one day and then on the weekend you sleep in a little bit you know, across the board, people are going to tell you not to do that, but let's just be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're going to feel a little bit better, but you're not going to get back what you miss. So if you have a Monday night where you sleep one hour less than normal, then your sleep debt is one hour, but that rolls over. So if Tuesday night you get two hours less of sleep than you need, you don't have two hours of sleep debt. You have three hours of sleep debt. Yeah. So that's why it's near impossible to catch up because it rolls over. And honestly, you're already feeling pretty bad anyway. So like, it's just not really healthy to, to think of it that way. Mm. What do you think then? Because like, I feel like that's such a common, you know, like misconception that we're all taught or like that we all think, I guess, at least in school. What are some other common misconceptions that most of your clients tend to have? Oh, there's a lot of misconceptions about sleep. Again, I think it's just because it's like so common and mm. it's so common to have problems that we think certain things are normal, but but they're not. Um, I get a lot of misconceptions about melatonin and supplements, which I feel like I could talk about for a long time. Please do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Also, I mean, just signs and symptoms in general, snoring, teeth grinding, tossing and turning, like these are so common that people just sort of accept it and they're like, oh yeah, I have that problem, but you know, my parents had that and it's no big deal and there's nothing we can do about it. And the truth is, that it's not normal, it's not healthy, and we can do something about it. What about the, um, so the tossing and turning stood out to me, because I was like, ooh, I have that. And my fiancé actually always complains. He's like, why do you, like, move around so much? Like, it's it's also making it harder for him to fall asleep. But um, what's the problem with the tossing and the turning? (laughs) Well, typically, you go through several stages and cycles of those stages of sleep throughout the night, and when you are in... After deep sleep, you will typically go into REM sleep. And in REM sleep, 
your body is paralyzed, basically. You, you can't move. You shouldn't be able to move um, unless you have a sleep disorder, which I'm not saying you do. But oh, I do. Don't worry. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> possible. Um, when I'm saying that, though, I mean that if you were in a healthy amount of REM sleep, then you wouldn't be moving. And so when you have a lot of movement, that's typically because you're, like, bouncing from different sleep stages, um, and maybe you're in lighter sleep. And so you, you're still asleep, or a lot of people are still asleep, so maybe you don't even notice, but you might not be in deeper sleep. You might not be in REM sleep. And so that feels, it's it's a little more interrupted. It's a little um, fragmented. So that's why sometimes people who do toss and turn a lot, they, they wake up feeling really tired, even if, for example, you got eight hours of sleep. Okay. This is starting to click and make sense in my head now because I feel like I'm someone where um, recently, like a year or two ago, I like went to a doctor's appointment and mm-hmm. I was um, I was talking to my primary care about sleep and he was like, let me do a little questionnaire for you. I was like, okay. And he was like, do you like wake up feeling refreshed? And I'm like, no, but I thought no one does. I thought it's like normal to, I'm like, who wakes up feeling <laughs> yeah. refreshed? Um, he's mm-hmm. like, okay, interesting. Um, do you like ever feel sleepy during the day? And I'm like, I never not feel sleepy during the day. I'm like, who doesn't? And then I feel like I could see him being like, okay, we we need to do something about this. And I was like, really? Yeah, like I thought it was normal. I know with like the structure of everyone's faces too, it could be some breathing issues too. Um, how do you tell for anyone that might be not as familiar with the whole like airway aspect of sleep, how could you tell if you or maybe like even your loved one like have any sort of disordered, I guess, breathing during sleep? I love this question. Obviously, it's because it's my specialty is sleep apnea, but also because it is super, super um, common. And only now are we really starting to understand a lot more about it. Um, Again, especially in women. Unfortunately, most of the research on sleep apnea, which is, you know, primary airway disorder, was done on men and typically younger men. And so, it didn't always translate to what we're experiencing. And what we see is that a lot more women have something called upper airway resistance syndrome, UARS. And so that presents very similar to sleep apnea where you're excessively sleepy. Um, Maybe you stop breathing in the middle of the night. Maybe you snore, but maybe you don't. Um, Maybe you grind your teeth. Um, And typically women will have that because generally our faces are smaller structured. Maybe they're a little more narrow if you are smaller, then your airway is smaller. And so even a very, very tiny restriction of that airway is suddenly almost blocking your airway because it's already kind of small to begin with. Um, but that's hard to diagnose as sleep apnea because it's not a complete close of your airway. So what we would look for is really those signs and symptoms like morning headaches are really common if you have UARS or sleep apnea because you're not getting that oxygen that you need and because sometimes you're like clenching your jaw so tight which will cause headaches too um snoring is a big one it's it's fairly obvious because the reason that people snore is because the tissues in the back of your throat are vibrating and they're only vibrating because air is passing through them and it's kind of restricting your airway to begin with so especially if somebody is snoring and then they stop making noise that that's almost Sometimes it's worse because that means that their air has stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So this kind of reminds me, um, have you read the book Jaws? 
I know it's like like a big. I have seen clips from or read like you know excerpts from it, but I haven't read the whole book. Okay, yeah, I like have yeah. it sitting right over here, and like I want to yeah. read it. Um, haven't gotten to it yet, but from my understanding from it, from like the back of the book, is that our like airways and jaws and whatnot are getting like narrower and smaller since like evolution, right? Is there like a specific reason why that's happening? Yeah, I mean, a lot has to do with the foods we eat, okay. um, even. You know, I'm not an expert on this part, and I actually don't have kids of my my own. But we, you know, we try to make things easier for babies. For example, we mush up all their food, mm. which is great because then they don't choke, right? But, but in you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we didn't have that, so we had to develop really strong jaws to begin with. Um, we didn't have a lot of processed foods. We were chewing more. We do see skulls of people from years ago, or from, um, or even maybe not now, but like in countries that are not as developed, and they. They are more wide, broad, like they're, they don't ever miss those canines. Like we sometimes are now born without canines or a lot of, in certain generations, a lot of them will just take them out and make more space. Um, All of our wisdom teeth used to fit in our head and now most of us have to take them out. And so there is that relationship because if you had room for all of this in your mouth, your mouth would be wider and therefore your airway would be wider as well, which would help us breathe. Right. Okay. Now that we're talking about the kids of it all, too, um, something that, you know, we're always told is, you know, you're either like born a night owl or a morning bird, right? And I liked your post calling people out being like, because I'm one of those people. I'm like, I'm both. I can do both. I can stay up late and wake up early. And only now recently, so I just started working recently as a dentist. Only now am I like, okay, I like really can't do both. Like I need to pick one. Um, So I personally am a night owl, but is it possible for people to change or like, it just feels so tough for us night owls because I feel like society is made for morning people. That's true. And a quick note on that too, because I am also a night owl. Really? You know, morning birds are so proud of it and that's great. Good for you. But like you turn into a pumpkin at 8 p.m. So <laughs> so true. So true. We still have the same amount of hours in the day. So if anybody's listening, whatever you are, let's just keep in mind, you still have the same hours in the day. So if you sleep, just for example, eight hours, but you're going to bed at 8 p.m. And I sleep eight hours, but I'm going to bed at midnight. As long as we're fine, as long as we're getting our jobs done, we're feeling great, both are fine. Um, your chronotype, which is uh, basically a morning bird or night owl, there's actually four. They're named with animals. Like a night owl is actually... Uh, a wolf chronotype. Okay. Those are determined by your DNA. Um, so yes to no in changing them. Now, so keep in mind, if you are a wolf chronotype or night owl, that would typically be someone who goes to bed around 11 or 12 and comfortably wakes up around 7 or even 8 a.m. Um, this is the wolf chronotype, you said? Yes. Okay. And that would be very comfortable. You know, maybe you get your jolt of energy around 3 p.m. Maybe you are awful at morning um, appointments. Like, that's fine as long as, again, you know, society and you can fit that into your job. But, you know, if if someone tells me I'm a night owl, I don't go to bed until 2 o'clock in the morning, um, that's different. (laughs) That's not how humans are designed. That's not how our brains are made. So, So even people who have different chronotypes, it's really only a difference of a few hours versus like a whole different kind of person and yes you you can't be both um the the percentage of people who can optimize their health on less than six or five hours of sleep is less than one percent and so of course when we're younger everything's fine and we bounce back and we forget and we don't need sleep but um eventually we realize that it's just not 
true. Mm. <laughs> yes. For I here on this podcast we like to promote like you know the whole like Delulu is a solution thing. Like Delulu is a, <laughs> I love how Delulu we are all are, but um, um yeah. we cannot be delusional about this. You're probably one or the other. Could you actually yeah. this actually brings up an interesting topic because when you were talking about how like the night owl wolf thing is like eleven to twelve PM, that's actually like me, I feel like and probably you know, like a lot of people. But in my head I used to think like, oh, night owls are like extreme, like two to three AM. So could you actually then go into like maybe the four different types and also what animal they are? Because I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> For, we'll start at wolf because that's who we are and that's what we we're talking about. Okay. So if you are a wolf, you might struggle to wake up early in the morning. You're not in the 5 a.m. club and honestly, just don't even try it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, you know, okay, so I am a wolf chronotype. I, I go to bed. I try to go to bed at 11, but if I'm being honest, I usually go to bed around 12 um, again, I don't have children, so my my lifestyle does allow me to stay up late and get up at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I never schedule important meetings at nine a.m. Although, yeah, of course, I can function as a human, but my brain really starts to turn on, and the physiological processes, the hormones, the alertness doesn't really kick in till like ten o'clock. I usually, you know, I'll have a little bit of a lull in the afternoon, like everyone else but it will be like a little bit later. And then around, I don't know, six or so when everybody else is wrapping up work, I actually love that time because my, I'm like so focused in, I'm finishing everything up, nobody's bothering me, nobody's calling me because their days are done. So so that is great for me. Um, if you are the opposite, um, you would be called a lion. A lion is a morning bird or a morning lark. They love an early start. People who, you know, say that they're super successful because they get up so early. Yeah, anybody would have a lot of success probably if they if they had a lot more time in their day because they woke up early. But only if you are comfortable, if you're not feeling like groggy and not feeling physically ill because you woke up early, um, can really be successful in that. So if you are that naturally wide awake and bushy-tailed person in the morning, then you are a lion and we hate you. <laughs> Just <And> we... <laughs> sort of, um, sort of more like normal, like in between the middle would be a bear. Um, in you know more natural worlds, it would really align with your circadian rhythm and the sun going up and the sun going down. So, you know, when it's dark out, you feel sleepy, and when it's bright out, you feel awake. Maybe you're going to bed at like. 9 p.m. and waking up at like 6 or I guess that's actually a lot of hours of sleep. Bear is just sort of like an in-between, like not extreme on one end or the other. And then the last one, the fourth one is called dolphin. This would be someone who, I mean, realistically probably has a sleep disorder or a mood disorder of some sort, um, although it, it could be someone who doesn't have that as well. It's just someone who struggles to fall asleep or stay asleep. But then, you know, of course, you're pretty tired during the day. So maybe you, you can take naps often. But, it, you know, you get into this cycle where you're sleepy, then you take a nap, then you don't sleep at night, but you have trouble sleeping at night. So if you're a dolphin, you probably, you don't really have like a set sleep schedule. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't really recommend sticking to that. So dolphin is the only one where I would, I would typically recommend like doing some work in your lifestyle or um, seeing a professional to make sure you don't have a disorder. 
you know what would be so fun as you're talking about all these different types like dolphin bear lion i'm like it would be so fun if you made this into like a 17 magazine kind of like quiz like remember the quizzes you would take in magazines as a kid (laughs) this is it's making like learning about this so fun yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um one thing that makes me think about this too is i'm a wolf just like you um so i have to commute like an hour to get to work usually or i have to budget myself like an hour so my work starts at like eight so i have to leave the house by seven by the time i get home i'm so tired and i'm really trying to make like fitness part of my life so realistically i have to usually wake up to work out around like 5 to five thirty, which is like horrible for us wolves what would you say like is there an optimal time i could be maybe working out after work or what do you think i can do or we can do i guess I, if possible, again, I know if, like, most sleep experts will say, like, you have to get up early, and and if I'm being honest with myself, I think that if I got up early to work out, I would get it done and be over with, mm-hmm. and I would, like, feel so much better, but I know that when I get up that early, I'm groggy. I'm, personally, I feel, like, physically nauseous when I get up too early, um, and then if I don't have enough sleep, like, you your time to exhaustion at the gym is already shortened your muscle fatigue so it sort of like defeats the whole purpose for me personally um i would recommend working out immediately after work which of course at that point you're you know you're already so tired and you're probably driving back but the truth is you're going to be tired later anyway so (laughs) you might as well get it over with and get it over sooner because you also don't want your heart racing at like 10 p.m if that's when you're finishing your workout and you're trying to go to bed at like 11 or so I see. So maybe like a cool solution would be like working out on the way home, like on the drive home, like finding a gym like that. So that way yeah. it's like you still have that momentum of driving home because I feel like the second I go home, then like the second I get home and get my sweats and it's like game over, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> like, especially now that it's dark, like just forget it. Yeah. Yeah. And you could, you could also be easy on yourself if you, if you wanted to really slowly become more of a morning person you know, I already told you that you can't change your DNA, but you can make it more comfortable. So you just have to give yourself time. So you can start waking up 15 minutes earlier for a few days and then 30 minutes earlier for a few days. And maybe you don't have time for a full workout if that's okay with you, but maybe you do some stretching or some yoga. And then after a few weeks, you'll be a lot more comfortable waking up early and you can go to the gym. Um, But otherwise, I would pretty much just recommend you doing it after work. Okay, that actually makes a lot of sense because that's kind of how I got here in the first place was like there was a time where you couldn't if you told me I would wake up, I would be able to wake up at like five or five thirty to work out. I would be like, oh my god, no way. Um, but I think what happened was slowly I started waking up like fifteen to thirty minutes earlier every day. Um, and I started to do like smaller exercises and then like now I mean now I'm I'm not really every day, but like I think the idea of easing into it is at least like better for my circadian rhythm and whatnot, probably. What about though, the thing that makes it hard for me on the 5 a.m. days is revenge procrastination because I do it like all the time. Could you tell us what it is, why we do it, and like how to stop? (laughs) (laughs) How to stop? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is super common. And you know what? People have been doing this forever, but there's now a word for it thanks to social media. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it the most in super, super busy people people who have commutes because, you know, you really can't do anything else when you're driving, for example, or um, like new parents, you know, you feel like your day is so jam packed of all this stuff that you have to do, but you want time to yourself. You know, maybe you want to watch two hours of kitten videos. Like you deserve, (laughs) you deserve to have that. Right. So what we find is like 
you'll relax and you'll, you know, you'll go to bed, but you're in bed like scrolling for like two, three hours and you feel like, well, you know, I didn't get a chance to do this and I want to do this for myself because I deserve to like relax and wind down and I love kitten videos. But, you know, then you're up till three o'clock in the morning and you feel like garbage the next day. Right. Totally. So in a way you're like, you know, you're taking back your time, you're getting revenge on like the system or your kids or whoever (laughs) and but on the other hand like it's just it's really not working for you (laughs) so so to stop first realize that you're doing it you know you have to acknowledge that it's really not helping you when you're staring at your screen in the dark until two o'clock in the morning but instead like schedule time to do it throughout the day if for example instagram is your thing if that's what you like doing like great good for you but maybe at like at 12 p.m. when you're having lunch, just give yourself permission. Say, okay, I'm not going to work right now. I'm eating lunch. I'm going to scroll on social media so that by the time the nighttime comes, you don't feel like, oh, I have to catch up on everything I miss so much or I haven't seen all these you know, videos that I wanted to look at because you've already kind of caught up. So I would say schedule time throughout your day. And even if it's like five minutes or 15 minutes, just so you don't feel like at the end of the day, like you have to catch up and like take back that time Mm. that's actually so true because I feel like a lot of times like what you said describes it to a t where you kind of like know that this isn't really helping you but at the same time it feels so good to be like doing something bad I guess (laughs) and that is that like kind of like revenge component of it I guess um another kind of like toxic habit that I think we do especially when we have like very busy work schedules is a lot of times like certain settings you just don't have time for lunch and or when you do eat a lunch you get really groggy during the day like when I have a big like procedure kind of day I don't really want to feel like I'm full of food so I'll tend to like eat a very light breakfast eat a very light lunch and then like when I get home I'm like binging everything probably part of it is like emotional binging too but then now that we're talking about this and you mentioned the whole you don't want to eat heavy meals before bed thing this is making me think like okay that's probably also like it's unhealthy for us from a weight perspective I know but it we I never thought about how it could also be unhealthy for you from a sleep perspective yeah so you know when we go to sleep our brains don't shut off Um, I think that's a really easy way that people think about sleep because you're not awake you're not doing things but our brains are still working they're actually working very hard and our brain is also regulating our digestion. So when you have a really heavy meal at night, mm-hmm. it has to work extra hard because it kind of wants to slow down, except your belly is full and it has to work out all that while you're sleeping. So it can it can cause some discomfort and it, it might just cause you to not have as um, restful or rejuvenating sleep because your brain is working a little bit harder than it needs to, your body's working a little bit harder than it needs to. Um, we do find now, which... I love um, that carbs can actually help us with deep sleep. Really? I love this. (laughs) Although, of course, you know, it depends on your weight management and all that other stuff going into it. Um, But I think it's really important to just try to get more, like, um, protein-heavier meals just to make you feel more full, especially during the day, like, so that you don't feel like you have to binge as much at night. Um, And then even things like, you know, make sure that you're not having something super sugary at night, including alcohol, which completely demolishes your sleep quality. So just being aware of it. Like, look, if you're starving, please, yes, eat something before bed, but try to make it more protein heavy. Try not to make it candy. Um, 
just just to be a little bit easier on our bodies when we're going to rest after. Mm, Okay. Honestly, a lot of what we're talking about, it feels like so much of preparing for like a good sleep is actually like what we do during the day. Like we think it's like two separate things, but from what you're saying, it sounds like if we have a better day, prepare ourselves during the day, then we will have a better sleep. Um, What are like, let's say for anyone listening to this, I know that it feels like there's a lot of factors that go into things you can control during the day. What are your top three things that you can control during the day that would give us a better sleep? I love that you said that so much. That is 100%, like a thousand percent of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, you're right. Sleep isn't just like a problem you have when you're laying in bed. It, it Everything you do during the day affects your sleep, good or bad. So during the day, I, well, I would say that, yeah, good sleep starts the moment you wake up. So mm-hmm. light specifically is something that really helps to regulate our circadian rhythm which isn't just about going to sleep which I love but it's also about feeling awake and telling your body that it's time to be awake no matter what your chronotype is so when you wake up in the morning get light as soon as possible um open your blinds turn on all the lights in your house um internal you know lights inside are not going to be as bright as outside even on a cloudy day the outside light is actually much brighter in what's called lumens so Always try to look outside or be outside if you can first thing in the morning. It can be really, really helpful because that light goes into our eyes, into our brain, into our suprachiasmatic nucleus, which tells us, hey, it's daytime. It's time to be awake. So I would always, always, as much as you can during the day, look outside, be outside, be in bright light, and that will help you feel more awake. And it also helps to regulate the hormones that then tell you later in the day, hey, you've been awake all day it must be time for sleep soon because you've been awake for a long time. Mm, Okay. In line with the light. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When darkness falls, that's when melatonin is produced. So, of course, I'm going to recommend that you're you're not staring at bright lights Mm. (laughs) at night. You want to make it dark at night. (laughs) So we have the light. So caffeine is a big part of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned, like, that afternoon slump, right? Usually how I live right now is, like, I get, like, a venti coffee from Starbucks or a venti size in the morning from home. I'll drink, like, half of it on my commute to work, and that'll get me through to lunchtime. But then after lunchtime, I'll still have, like, half left. So then I'll be like, oh, perfect, a little, like, afternoon boost, and I'll have that. Is there a certain time of day where you would recommend us, like, not having any caffeine, period, like, after? Um, Yes. Yes and no. If you look on the internet, it will just tell you blatantly, like, you know, after 2 p.m., don't drink coffee, or after 3 p.m. But the truth is that it it matters first when you're waking up and when you're going to bed. But it also makes a difference if, you know, what sex you are, what your weight is, if you're on medication, if you are a smoker or not. Unfortunately, these all handle, like, help to manage how caffeine is metabolized. So it, it does make a difference. Generally speaking, Caffeine takes four to six hours to metabolize just to its half-life. Okay. So for you, because I know that you are going to bed a little bit later, I would recommend trying not to drink caffeine after like one-ish, two-ish. Okay. Now, if someone's going to bed at 8 p.m., for example, and they have a coffee at 3 p.m., by 8 p.m., they're not feeling like wide awake and jittery like they're on coffee or whatever caffeine you had, Mm -hmm. but the caffeine is still in your body. It's still in your brain. So maybe you're able to fall asleep or maybe you have trouble falling asleep, but either way, you're going to have potentially more disrupted sleep or not as deep sleep because that caffeine is still processing, even though you don't feel it. 
Okay. So generally speaking, early afternoon would be the cutoff point for caffeine. Okay. Hate to see it, but okay. I will I will keep that in mind. Um, what about, um, I know nowadays, I feel like, I don't know if this is like for marketing. I see things like, oh, like matcha doesn't affect your sleep as much. Or like yerba mate doesn't as much. From your perspective, is it like caffeine is caffeine? Or is there truly a difference between consuming coffee in the morning versus like matcha or like yerba mate or any other tea? There is a difference. Um, the problem really becomes like, you can't always trust what's on the label of these things. You don't really know where they're coming from or what the true contents of it is. But generally speaking, there is a difference, and that comes down to mostly what else is in it. So matcha, for example, has um, other vitamins and minerals, and it has something called L-theanine, which helps to make us feel more calm and focused. So even though it has caffeine also, the, the L-theanine, it doesn't um, even it out, but it helps to process it and make us not feel as jittery. Mm. The caffeine in matcha, for example, also tends to release more slowly. So sometimes people will drink that and they'll still feel awake, but they won't get that like jittery pit in your stomach feeling as when they drink coffee. So it's still caffeine always binds to adenosine receptors in our brain, which is what makes us feel sleepy so if it's binded you don't feel sleepy Mm. but it can release at a different rate or it can be um, metabolized with other items to make it feel a little bit different okay do do your clients ever come to you asking about like I'm into like woo woo stuff sometimes do they ever ask you about like lion's mane and like mushrooms like that kind of stuff yeah definitely and um unfortunately a lot of it is anecdotal and again I I try to stay away from supplements mostly just because you don't know what's in them versus Mm. I'm not saying they don't work. It's just unfortunately like you really have to do a lot of research and like know where they're coming from. There is some research on some supplements. Um, Magnesium seems to be the one that is really the most helpful, at least in my opinion. Magnesium has like 600 um, ways that it helps your body, including mood and sleep. So I love magnesium over really any other kind of supplement. There's really not much research, and it's not to say that it doesn't work. It's just that, you know, it really hasn't been studied or it hasn't been proven for lion's mane or valerian root has a little bit of research to it. Um, Inositol, I take that almost every day, but I actually don't even know how to pronounce it. (laughs) Inositol has some uh, research behind it, but and most of that has to do with the way it helps to regulate your mood versus actually being like a sedative because none of these are sedatives. Okay. That actually makes sense then. It's more about reg- – well, and it makes sense for what you're saying where it's like very holistic and that your mood and your emotions kind of dictate your quality of sleep as well or play a factor in it. Mm-hmm. Um I think it'll be fun. What if we did like a little speed round and I say like something that's like really trendy related to sleep and you can tell me if you think it's like helpful or not helpful. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. So first off, the sleepy girl like mocktail. It's like tart cherry juice with magnesium. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I love the idea. I love that it doesn't have alcohol. Mm-hmm. It has some really great ingredients that have a teeny tiny bit of research behind it, but it's probably going to have a lot of sugar, mm-hmm. which kind of defeats the purpose and the bottles are so expensive of tart cherry juice (laughs) oh my god ridiculously expensive yeah i'm like i could just can't you just make cherries with less sugar and can't this just be tart cherry juice like yeah yeah, if you're like if you're trying not to drink i think it's a cool mocktail but if you're trying to like fall asleep i you know no okay got it (laughs) so that's an so okay that makes sense um number two the aura ring 
Um, I love it Good. for the most part. I love it for tracking. I love it for accountability. I love it to get a baseline, especially if you're working on your health and you want to like see that improvement. Um, I don't love it for people who have anxiety or who have insomnia because I think it just makes them sort of obsessive and it makes it worse. Okay. Um, And I don't approve of people using it instead of seeing a doctor to try to like diagnose themselves. Got it. Okay, so it's kind of like anything where it's like use with your own discretion. Like there's going to be people that it helps and then there's going to be people that like – could use it in a more maladaptive kind of way. So just use your discretion with that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, okay, what about mouth taping? I know this is like a big hot thing too. Sort of, sort of the same thing. For for healthy people, um, for people who don't have sleep apnea, for people who don't snore because of sleep apnea, I love it. Nasal breathing is critical for healthy breathing. It is what we are made to do. And so taping your mouth encourages nasal breathing. Um, but if you can't breathe through your nose, if you have a deviated septum, if you're sick, if you are snoring because you have sleep apnea, don't do it. It's a horrible idea. You should see a doctor instead. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you say like nasal breathing, that actually makes me think of one last thing. I think this is a good thing to end this episode on, which is you made a post that was really helpful. It was like a 10 second self-care tip. If you have 10 seconds, like during your work day or something, um, and the tip involved nasal breathing and like your positioning of your tongue and your jaw, could you go into like, if you have 10 seconds during your busy work day, what is one self-care thing that you can do? 100% in my opinion, it would be breath work. Mm. You know, we, we don't need five hours and a weekend away to do some self-care. We can, we can actually calm our nervous system within just a few seconds if you're, if you're breathing properly. Um, you know, a lot of us are hunched over, our shoulders are up, we're, we're tense, we're clenching our jaws in the middle of the day. So just like a check-in with yourself specifically, your face, your mouth, your airway can really help to regulate your nervous system. So yeah, I would recommend if you have just a few minutes doing some healthy breathing, there are, you know, breathwork things you can do that are super easy, like the 478 method or the box breathing, and you can Google those. Those are all super easy. Um, but just making sure that your mouth is closed, you're breathing slowly through your mouth, you're filling your belly up with air instead of just your chest. You know, you want to have deep, full breaths um, and that your tongue is actually at the roof of your mouth. So that is the healthiest, best way to breathe. Although, you know, it's not possible for everybody. And when we're talking all day or, you know, whatever it is, we sort of, you know, we might forget where that is, but if you want to just relax and like give yourself a break for just a few seconds, do that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I feel like your advice is so helpful because, well, honestly, it actually resonates with like a lot of what the other specialists on our show say, which is that you don't have to do like a huge retreat in the woods in nature to totally reset or whatever. The things that will help us the most tend to be it seems like really tangible, quick, easy, everyday things, but people almost don't believe that they can make such a difference. So they're like, no, no, no. It has to be some like some extreme course that I can take or some pill I can take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and also if you, if you do an, a short, small, easy thing, it makes it more attainable and you feel good about it after. So if you tell yourself like I need an hour of meditation and you're not able to do an hour, then you feel bad about yourself. You don't want to do it anymore. So true. If you tell yourself, okay, the next three minutes I'm not looking at my phone – and I'm just going to close my eyes and breathe, you can probably do it. And then afterwards, you're like, wow, I did it. Check it off my list. I'm so successful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. 
in your like experience with your coaching clients, how fast, I guess do you, like, I don't know if this question is like helpful, but like how, is there an average time that you tend to see results? Like how quickly should people expect to see results when they, when they apply these kinds of tips? That is a really good question because like you just said, people are kind of expecting like, oh, right. it works or it doesn't work. I need a pill. It needs to be done. Yeah. You know, if you think about, if you are someone who has sleeping problems, you didn't develop them like in a week. Mm. It probably took quite a long time period to be stressed and then have bad sleep and then have bad habits and then have bad nutrition or whatever the cause is. So keep that in mind when you start implementing it. Um, some of the tips can work in just a week. Mm. You know, if you are consistent with your bedtime, within a week you you will feel more consistent. It will be easier for you to wake up. If you are implementing certain breath work or um, cognitive behavioral techniques, that's going to take a little longer, but still, you know, two, three weeks. People who have chronic insomnia, which is something I would refer out for, but people who have chronic insomnia, most of those programs take six to eight weeks, which sort of sounds like a long time, but but again, not really. If, if you haven't been sleeping well for three years, let's just say, mm. what's six to eight weeks? Like, you, you could put in the time for that. Yeah. So, it really depends on what your problem is, but anywhere between like a week to like six to eight weeks. Okay. That makes so much sense. Oh, thank you so much for this. I feel like this hour like totally flew by and like we learned so much. It was so helpful. Could you share with everyone where they can find you, like your pages and like if they want to work with you, where they can sign up? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so, so much. I love this conversation. Um, I'm definitely the most active on Instagram, sleep better NYC, no dots or spaces or underscores. Um, I have a Facebook and a YouTube that's pretty much just all recycled from my Instagram, but I would love new followers. Um, and then honestly, you can contact me from there because it all goes to my email and the website is there too. So Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for everyone for listening. That's all we have for this week and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.